Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Je vole sous le soleil Sans toi, rien n'est pareil Je vole le sous ton ciel Je vole sous les nuages Tu allais tes bagages Je vole le sous un toit Même si tes bras sont My name is Tegan Higginbotham, and I have quite the French obsession. Over the past two episodes, I looked at some of the earlier influences which drew me towards Paris, namely and almost solely the cartoon Madeleine. But my first trip to Paris turned out to be anything but idyllic. Like many people, I was overwhelmed by the city of love. But when I came back, I realized that my infatuation was still there. So was this an example of love conquering all? Or was I perhaps reaching for more? And instead of loving France the country, was I in love with the myth of the French woman? Welcome to Rue Lamarque. There's a lot of insecurity as well um, as a woman growing up. Like I would, had to face things that would never, ever happen to me here in Australia. 20 or so years before that, it was, you know, Vanessa Parody, Brigitte Bardot, there was the set kind of look. And I think that's something that's starting to loosen up this expectation of what a French woman should look like. And they're so elegant. They're so freaking elegant as well in how they dress. No one's wearing, not shaming anyone, not shaming anyone, but they're not wearing tight, short things and low-cut things. I remember the moment the hatred of my own body began. It was during year eight and I'd gone shopping with a friend at Osmosis, which was a then kind of trendy, at least I thought so, beachwear store, stocking the likes of Stussy, Roxy and Billabong. And while I was there, upon showing my friend a particular garment that I was keen on purchasing, she remarked, I don't think stuff like that will fit your body anymore. Now, first of all, butthead, it's called sizes. It's this magical thing that shops invented so you can find something that fits you even when your body changes. But I didn't think that back then. Instead, I got upset. I lost confidence. And then I began thinking about what I ate a little bit. By which I mean a lot. And my obsession with how to lose weight began. As anyone who listens to Rulamark will know, by this age, I'd already been interested in France for some time. But up until 2004, when Mireille Guiliano released her best-selling global sensation, French Women Don't Get Fat... I had no concept of the societal differences between French and Australian women and the way they approach food. I devoured the book, which I think was rather beside the point, and went about correcting my relationship with food. But rather than this improving my self-esteem, it only fed into making it worse. Despite Australian ads telling me that bananas would make those bodies sing, I began cutting them in half as per Murray's directives. I mean, what sort of sick monster eats a whole banana, am I right? 
I began making bland, soul-destroying soups in order to recast my body, and I was soon measuring quantities of everything and feeling guilty if I ever went back for seconds. I even remember how I felt when I did the math on Mireille's 20-pound catastrophe. At the beginning of her book, she discusses the life-altering event that sent her, quote, into a wilderness. She'd put on 20 pounds. Now, not understanding how pounds or kilos convert, I figured this had to be a lot, you know? I mean, if we're calling it a catastrophe, it had to be more than a lot. It had to be all the weight. But that's not the case. Turns out it's like nine kilos. And I'm not saying nine kilos isn't a thing. I get that for some people that's a thing. It's a thing, sure. But but really? Really? She was sent to the doctors by her parents because she'd put on nine kilos? I've eaten blocks of cheese bigger than that. All that said, I still feel that Marie makes some good points. She preaches good habits like taking the time to sit down and appreciate your food instead of mindless eating, eating proper meals instead of snacking, trying to shop seasonally where possible and cooking often, and not eating books. But are these really the things that French women do naturally? Or is this just common sense being marketed through a French lens? I see so many books and articles and TV shows about French women's style, their relationship to ageing, the way they date, the way they eat, the way they raise their kids. So are French women really better at all this? And do they have a litany of secrets passed down from one generation to the next that makes them the ultimate women? Or are we buying into a myth? I spoke with a good friend, Margot Dumas, about the way we view French women. In particular, I wanted to know if during her time in Australia, she found it all a bit strange. Not really. Um, I don't think it's just Australians. Um, I traveled to the States before and to other parts of Europe and like the fascination is f- for every country and that's really weird for us French people. And uh, actually when I went when I went to Australia, I thought it was a little bit less uh, emphasized. Um, I didn't feel that people were that impressed or that um, envious of like the French life and the French things. So um, I didn't really feel it when I was there. No, I was usually pretty positive, but very um, idealistic, like not true to the real thing. Like I feel like people fantasize of the French way and the French life and the French girls. And when you are all those things, you realize that it's more of a myth than anything else i don't think you realize all the standards until you travel which a lot of people do now so when we get back home to france and we get to talk about it with other french people we laugh about it but until you travel and until you leave france you really don't feel it at all i also couldn't help but wonder if perhaps the french had similar generalizations about us australian women Did Margot, for example, have certain ideas about what Australian women would be like before she moved out here? Oh, I did, actually. I had so many stereotypes in my head. I I was actually very, um, I don't know the word, like, I felt very, that Australian women were very confident and very beautiful and bitchy hair and tanned and toned and fit and everything, you know? So... I was actually like kind of like thinking every woman in Australia was going to be like this beautiful blonde girl and that's kind of how I thought. And yet here I am, so very pale. But I can kind of see how Margot could have been led to thinking this way. I did a quick search to find out how Australian women are being portrayed online and I found some 
you know, some pretty interesting stuff. Here are just a few of my favourite quotes and passages from various articles on the beauty secrets Australian women swear by. Eight Beauty Secrets of Australian Women, Condonast Traveller. Ever wanted to look like Miranda Kerr or Elle McPherson? Well, here's everything you need to know to achieve that Aussie glow. We've increasingly noticed that there's just something about Australian gals. Maybe it's the permanently glowing and subtly toned limbs, or the permanently tussled surfer hair. Just as an aside, I don't know anyone who surfs, but never mind. But can we attempt to single white female their beauty routines? Enter Lee Campbell, beauty director over at Cosmo Australia, who recently opened up her little black book of the go-to products for an education in cult-followed Aussie beauty. Let's just say that Miranda Kerr better watch her back. The article then goes on to list a variety of products, including one particular oil of which they say, any beauty buff knows that oils are having a major moment right now. I don't even... I don't know, I just think that sounds so stupid. In Reader's Digest... Australian beauty secrets you need to know. Aussie babes are known for having their effortless waves that always seem to look healthy. So what's the secret? Giving your hair and scalp a pre-beach treatment like product, product, product is a super simple way to get nourished mermaid locks. We don't tan, but we like to look tanned. Not in the contoured way, but in the low shimmer, sandy, freckly way. And just, by the way, that is how I hear most women describing their tan. It's like, oh, your skin looks beautiful. Thank you, it's low shimmer Sandy Freckley. 10 beauty tricks Australian women swear by in Birdie, AU. Ever wondered how Australian women get that just emerged from the sea texture to their hair? Well, it turns out it's because they really did just emerge from the sea. (laughs) (laughs) So I just thought it's so ridiculous. In Australia, if you want to feel good, All you have to do is swim in the ocean and let your hair dry naturally and have a glass of water and you look great, Lara Bingle says. Fuck off. (laughs) Sigourney Cantello slices up beetroot and applies it to her lips and cheeks for a flush of colour. I mean, what woman doesn't, am I right? Cantello also says that to combat the greenish tint chlorine leaves in your hair, Australian women wash their hair with ketchup. What can I say, Bertie? You got me again. I mean, this is just me in written form. I am amazed. And I don't get the impression that they're just trying to sell products at all. We spoke with Celia Hinnell, head cheesemonger at Richmond Hill Cafe and Larder in episode one, where she and Anthony Femia changed my cheesy world. But Celia also had an interesting take on being a French woman. I found the French culture a little bit burdening and a bit overwhelming. It's like, it's an old country. It's old Europe and people are... They're right, they're arrogant and grumpy all the time. And I think it really brings you down. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky I grew up in the country, so I didn't feel it as much. But people in the city, they're just they're pretty intense. Um, there's a lot of insecurity as well. Um, as a woman growing up, like, I, was, I had to face things that would never, ever happen to me here in Australia. Um, so I think it's like, yeah, I lived in different countries and then I wanted, like, an, a Western kind of style of culture. Um, English-speaking culture because I always loved speaking English, and some of my friends came to Australia before me, and I had that very, very stereotypical idea of Australia, and I was like, oh, whatever. 
not interested in like a, a country with like no culture, 300 year old and you know not much to offer in terms of architecture and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, I came down here because it was quite easy to get here with like visa and flights and stuff. And I thought I'd give it a shot. And then I arrived in Sydney, loved it, and then moved to Melbourne. Hated it the first few weeks. Really? The weather was horrible. And I was like, what's that appealing about Melbourne? But I guess Melbourne is not a city you visit. It's a city you live in. And then as I started like really settling in, I just like started loving it. Like the whole food culture, the whole like community the whole like small suburbs with their different identities the whole um population of literally like migrants that kind of came together and just offer their best to the community to just you know create something different um and that's it and um I started then working in cheese and just loved loved the whole um, aspect of dealing with customers and how interested they were with the product. So I think what Australia has to offer is people are genuinely, like I find, quite nice and honest and very open and easy to talk to. And, and you feel good. Like you feel good in this country. You feel like you know, people are quite accepting and, and open-minded in general and tolerant. And I mean, I've never really had any bad experience and I've been here six years and I just, yeah, I love... I love the vibe. I think it's just a great country where people are just very happy. Where in France, it's just like, I go back to France and after two weeks, I'm grumpy again. <laughs> Because everything is always depicted in really negative ways. It's just, even if you just look at the news, like in France, it starts off and it's very intense music and it's very dramatic and we talk about all the misery in the world and there's nothing anything positive where the news in Australia seems so very refreshing. Like, it's not like there's not much going on, but it's just like, oh, you know, someone... Um, I don't know the cat was stuck in the tree for three hours and oh, you know yeah. neighborhood were complaining and then the firemen came and helped the cat and I'm like this is great news like <laughs> if this is the worst thing that can happen here we, we're fine like I mean I'm joking but I think it's, um, it's no, we just, love our fluff pieces yeah. we like keeping it light uh, it's yeah. like the news are just really refreshing it's just like yeah, it's quite entertaining so no I think it's just like um, a global yeah, good vibe about the country and positive people and like people that are quite nice down to earth know where they come from what they went through and just are happy to yeah help each other the community make new friends and stuff like that okay so our news is good our architecture is bad you know what i'll actually wear that i think that's fair but what about the food stuff i asked margot dumas if she had ever heard of french women don't get fat i'm sure you're aware of the book french women don't get fat women the i way- wasn't Really? Oh, God, it was no. such a big thing. Is it a myth? Do French women get fat? Yes, <laughs> 100%. But I think maybe if you compare us to, like, Anglophone countries, it's true that um, uh, maybe the average woman is a bit thinner than, like, for example, in the States or the UK or things like that. And I think it's also because food is really important for us. And we have a very structured day around food and very little snacking. And maybe in like the overall nutritional um, point of view, that's, that tends to lead to less uh, weight gain. But yeah, French women do get fat and <laughs> it's really, it really is a myth. When I traveled to the States really young and I traveled, I started traveling when I was really young. And what uh, surprised me the most is the lack of structure around meals. Like I remember people having meals like at different times in the same family or 
or just snacking all the time and in France it doesn't happen like that like it's very like there there are times and a meal gathers really everyone and it's very structured you have the first course and like a second course and then you don't eat until the next dinner and and I think that helps I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today i went to visit yet another margot margot jose at alliance francaise in saint kilda we'll chat about learning french in another episode and margot has heaps to say about that but she also noticed stereotypes around her culture when she first came to Australia. And in her experience, they were a little less than positive. But for example, when I arrived in Australia, um, some people told me that as a French uh, woman, I didn't shave or didn't shower uh, because that was a stereotype of French women. Oh my God. Yeah. And uh, I was like, you know, I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. yeah, I guess there's these two sides. There's like the really positive um, stereotypes yeah. and then the quite negative ones. But even if we look at the, the ones about, you know, being very meticulous and taking care of your skin, your body and all of that, it can be a bit, um, I, I'm not sure how to say that in English, but like uh, putting pressure on yourself, yeah. like you have to do this. I mean, it is kind of true that women or people in Australia are more relaxed, as in you can go to a high-end shop um you know wearing sort of normal clothes yeah. and they will take you seriously and they will sell they will sell you their high-end products whereas if you go to a high-end shop in france let's say vuitton mm-hmm. you're sort of expected to wear something that's oh. not casual clothes okay that makes a lot of sense when I reflect back on my experience because <laughs> I was not wearing high-end yeah. clothes there's a lot of stereotypes yeah. uh, but we do also play on these stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, for example, when I, when I uh, do my first French classes for complete beginners, I like to play on stereotypes yeah. and, you know, dress up like a typical French person. But it, it, it's fun because then we actually, um, you know, understand altogether that some of these stereotypes are not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's part of learning language and culture. Ah, and there we go. I just found out why I got dirty looks when I visited Chanel in Paris because guess what? I wasn't dressed well. But back to the issues surrounding these generalizations about French women. And I can say that Margot José isn't the only person who's felt somewhat stifled by them. In an article by David Chazan posted in the Sydney Morning Herald, Claire Morel spoke of the pressures of keeping up with French girl expectations. She says, When foreigners visit Paris, they see skinny women in restaurants feasting on traditional dishes with butter and cream sauces, tucking into cheese and desserts and quaffing wine. So they obviously wonder how we manage not to get fat. The truth the tourists never see is that we watch our weight compulsively. You have to be bon vivant and take pleasure in food, but what you show in public and what you live in private are two different things. After eating out, you compensate at home. No one sees how little you eat for the next three days. 
I asked comedian Jackie Mifsford, who lived in Paris for some time, whether she felt there was a particular pressure amongst French women to stay thin. Definitely that's why they smoke, I'd say that. Um, And as someone who has uh, gained and lost heaps of weight, um, I really think it is their relationship with food. Like, it's very important. Like, they... And also with alcohol as well. Like, they drink a lot, but they don't binge drink because they respect their drink. They, you know, maybe when they're... 13, 14, they start having wine with dinner with their parents, so it's a very respectful thing. And they'll have, you know, high-fat things and sweets and stuff, and then little portions. So they're never depriving themselves of anything. They're just having little bits here and there. And it's that relationship. Like, you wouldn't see them in a giant packet of M&Ms or whatever, do you know what I mean? like just not mindfully eating and stuff. They pretend they're very nonchalant mm. about a lot of these things, but food they're definitely not about. Um, I think, yeah, I, th- I agree that they've probably got hang-ups about mm. food. Like, you know, a lot of us. But there, there is this pressure to look a certain way. And also it's considered, um, you're considered in control if you um, look a certain shape, which I think is something that they're starting to question. There have been some books that have been published there about, you know, the whole fat phobia thing that they have, which is really interesting. And they're starting to look at it as a feminist issue, which I think is um, very timely for them. Yeah, a friend of mine lived with um, a girl from Paris and said she was constantly cooking leek soup to make up for all of the indulgences that she'd have at lunch, you know, when she was working. And so all weekend she was just having leek soup. So I guess they find ways to balance themselves. But me personally, I don't want to be drinking leek soup all weekend. That was Katrina Lawrence, author of Paris Dreaming. So by the sounds of things, I'm beginning to feel that, yes, French women do have a very different approach to food and nutrition than we do here in Australia. And at its core, that relationship is better. However, as in all things, there can be extremes and some women are dealing with the brunt of that. But let's talk about the soup thing. According to Mireille Guiliano, magical leek soup is a trick that's been used by many local French women for generations. A doctor had prescribed it to both her and her grandmother at one point or another. Now, first thing I'll say about that is, Moray clearly hasn't read Harry Potter because we have a very different take on the word magic. You're a soup, Harry. I'm a what? A soup. And a thumping good tonight, wager. Now, I can't say whether a soup cleanse is a good idea or a bad idea. Because I'm an artist, okay? I just want to know if it's pretty and whether I can afford it when I'm out of work. So I decided to reach out to nutritionist Catherine Saxelby, founder of the Food Watch website and author of 11 books, including Nutrition for Life. Catherine's aim is to help busy women eat well so they can attain and maintain a healthy weight. I started by asking Catherine if it was true that French women don't get fat. Um, yes, it, it is. The French women have some sort of um, social mores or social traditions that um, restrain them from eating. And generally, when you're in France, they eat very small portions of most things, even though their cuisine is pretty rich and high in fat. And of course, in the in the built-up areas, they walk everywhere in Paris, in Lyon. And I remember, if anyone's ever been a tourist, as, as I have in Paris, you do walk. It's often you see more and you, you get a feeling for the whole landscape by walking. So, and this has been proved in research that um, a, a lovely paper came out comparing 11 similar eateries in Paris and in Philadelphia in the US. And they looked at fast food outlets and pizza areas and ice cream parlors. 
And of course, the average portion size in Paris was 25% smaller than in Philadelphia. So I, I understand we're comparing America, which is the home of gross gross food portions to France. But yes, certainly there is evidence that portion sizes are much, much smaller in France. Is that the only thing that's contributing to this difference? I don't think so. I think French women have a way of thinking that they just stop eating when they've um, had a, a splurge the day before. Um, there's also other dietary things We used to think it was the red wine that French people love to quaff that was responsible for this French paradox. But I actually think there's lots of things in the French diet that can be responsible for their their less weight and they have lower rates of heart disease too. Like, for example, they are the fifth highest consumers of fish and seafood. I mean, they love... They love coquille Saint-Jacques, they love oysters, they love bouillabaisse, they love that moule frit that you have on the coast of Brittany, garlic prawns in butter, so they do eat a lot of seafood. Secondly, they love garlic, and I mean, this is very Mediterranean, but it, something about garlic seems to, you know, enhance its, its ability to do things in the body, it has a cholesterol-lowering effect. Thirdly, they... The French people actually shun Western-style fast food like burgers and fries. And, you know, they don't have... They have a lot of fat and they're very over-processed and refined. And the French rarely snack. They prefer to dine out properly. They have three meals a day without anything in between. And they walk everywhere and they have small portions of most things, as, as I've said. I've also heard that another one of the contributing factors, especially when it comes to women, is the fact that they smoke at a very oh, high yes. rate. Thank you. <laughs> they do. And smoking has an inhibitory effect on food intake. And, you know, like you only have to speak to smokers to see this, that they would rather um, go outside and have a cigarette. In Australia, they go outside. Um, and instead of a dessert or a chocolate or a, a sweet liqueur, they would rather go outside and have a cigarette. And one has to think that um, the smoking does contribute to their slimmer weight. And there's plenty of research to show that um, once people give up smoking, which has health problems of its own, of course, but once people give up smoking, they do tend to put on two, three, four kilos because they're doing something with their mouth. It's the fact that you're using your mouth for something that's that has calories or kilojoules, as as we should be speaking in Australia. So, yes, smoking is very much, I think, a thing um, in France. We soon got onto the topic of recasting and magical leek soup. I asked Catherine if she saw any benefit to these sorts of soup cleansers. I personally don't. I find the cleansers tend to be very, um, very negative in the long term they're they're okay for a short while it's like drop a dress size over the weekend you you know you will actually lose weight eating only soup and it doesn't matter whether it's leek soup or cabbage soup or tomato soup there's lots of soup diets around Um, but in in the short term they work but in the long term i don't find them very helpful they're they're a quick solution to a a problem um, and that recasting I'm not quite sure that that gets you back on the mark like it doesn't teach you anything about eating small portions of healthy food it all it does is just stop you 
imbibing extra kilojoules or calories, doesn't it, over the, the mm. time that you're on it. But it's, I, I think this compensatory mechanism, there's something that they have that they do to maintain their shape and their figure. The other thing I found from that book that French women don't get fat, the first three spoons, the first three teaspoons of anything you eat are the best and the rest of it you don't need. So she would recommend with a dessert, she would have three teaspoons of a lovely you know, creme brulee or a chocolate mousse or whatever and then she wouldn't eat after that. And I think that's very typical of French women. They will sit on half a glass of champagne before dinner. They will have three teaspoons of something and that's it for them. They're, they're very rigorous. They're very restrained in their eating. And this, this is one way they have of controlling their food intake. But it's, it's all interesting advice because it means you, you try to get the maximum pleasure from a small portion of food. And I think that's something we could, we other women of the world, Western women, could learn from the French, this ability to extract as much pleasure from a small portion. I mean, I guess the question would be, do you think that they have the best diet in the world? They certainly have a good diet and they are the world's second lowest uh, level of heart disease. They have the world's second lowest level of heart disease. The Japanese, the first. But the French, it, it's always been in these medical circles, this French paradox. Why, why are they reasonably healthy when they, in fact, eat... A diet. I mean, you look at their their food intake, and it's full of cheeses and pastries and gourmet this and gourmet that, high fat food, and yet they seem to appear to be quite um, uh, quite health, healthy and and up there in the statistics. They have other problems. They have um, uh, liver problems, and they have a, a um, large rate of. Um, Oh, what's the word? Alcoholic liver, if you like. So you know they do know there there are problems in the in the French way of eating, but overall they are healthy, and I think we could learn to eat the way they do. So number one would be reduce the portion size, try and get maximum pleasure from small things. Um, secondly, walk. Be you don't have to do vigorous exercise. The French don't sweat in the gyms the way we do, but they, they certainly walk everywhere. They're very active and they, they don't have lifts in a lot of their buildings. So they're walking up three stories, four stories, five stories up to their tiny apartment um, with their groceries. So we could learn from that. They always eat a salad. They eat lots of vegetables and they eat a lot of fish and seafood, as I said. So there's there's pointers there towards a healthier way of eating and and um, some of it is very, very good advice. You know, the ironic thing about this episode is that I'm having to think so much, it's actually making me hungry. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today's podcast. However, I just want to say this finishing up. Learning from and appreciating French women is wonderful in essence, but we really need to be aware when that admiration becomes less about respect and more of a sales ploy. But one thing both French and Australian women seem to have in common is the tendency to be way too hard on ourselves. So the thing I'll be taking from this episode and from all of our wonderful guests is that food is awesome. It is the best. And we should be constantly working towards having a really healthy and really joyous and really positive relationship with food. 
Before we wrap up, I'd like to thank head cheesemonger at Richmond Hill Cafe and Larder, Celia Hinol. Margot Dumas, who has just started a new job in London and I wish her the best of luck with that. Margot José, head teacher and exam coordinator at Alliance Française. Katrina Lawrence, author of Paris Dreaming, which is available at bookstores and online. Jacqueline Mifsud, her show Perfect opens up on the 26th of March. It's coming up very soon, so make sure you grab tickets. Catherine Saxelby, her website is foodwatch.com.au and I just think Catherine is wonderful. You should follow her if you can. Uh, She's also on Instagram at at foodwatch. And a big thanks to Laure Briere for our opening song, Je Vol. You should really check out all of her music. It is wonderful. And finally, a big thank you to Paul Verhoeven, my sound technician and a massive support. Thank you very much. I'm Tegan Higginbotham and you've been listening to Rulemark. Please share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show and feel free to get in touch. Next week, we'll be chatting about French language. So grab a pen and paper because it is going to get confusing. A bientôt. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.